0: Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show of a very special guest, he comes to us from the UK. His name is Lawrence James, and he's just put out a new edition of a book he originally published in 2006. The title of this book is The Middle Class, published April 7th, 2021. Really a fascinating book. Goes in very uh, great detail about kind of the rise of the middle class in Britain, but this is not his only book. He's uh, written eight or nine other books. He has another book coming out next year, but his first book was The Golden Warrior, The Life and Legend of Lawrence of Arabia, published 1993. Also, The Rise and Fall of the British Empire, 1997. Raj, The Making and Unmaking of British India, 1998. The Illustrated Rise and Fall of the British Empire, 2000. Also, Aristocrats, Power, Grace, and Decadence, Britain's Great Ruling Classes from 1066 to the Present, published 2010. Also, The Iron Duke, A Military Biography of Wellington, published 2020. And also in 2020, Imperial Warrior, The Life and Times of Field Marshal Viscount Allenby, 1861 to 1936. He also has a new book coming out next year title of it is The Lion and the Dragon. It's about the relationship between Britain and China. So I'm looking forward to that. But again, we're going to talk about this book titled The Middle Class. So, Mr. James, are you there? Yes. Awesome. Well, thanks for agreeing to the interview. For people who may not have heard of you here in the States or not familiar with your books, can you talk about your background and what led you to write this book, The Middle Class?
1: Well, my background is probably, first of all, I was born a member of The Middle Class um i was educated at york and oxford universities i originally did research on medieval medieval english history and after that i moved to the modern age uh, writing particularly about the british empire uh, and what might be called the forces which made britain into the country it is now um, the middle class is one of them the empire uh, our rule over india and our and Winston Churchill, who I've written about and as an imperialist. So these are the sort of things that make Britain the country it is at the moment.
0: Right. So you have all of these very important things. And you write in this book, The Middle Class, that without the uh, ingenuity and vibrancy of the middle class, there wouldn't have been a British Empire. Can you talk about where it all started, where this the Industrial Revolution, where the background of it really went back to and its foundations in Britain?
1: Well, the middle class appear. Uh, someone defined the middle class in Elizabeth I's reign. And they said, these were the men, and to a small extent women, who live by their wits. They are people who have some kind of special learning and they apply it. The doctor, the lawyer, the veterinary surgeon today. All these people... We often go to them with our troubles and they use their specialist skill to resolve these, uh, to make life easier for us. And at the same time, they are people of ingenuity. They are the people who invent and, above all, are interested in making money, whether trading or investing. They are a sort of dynamic force and they exist and make their living because of their education, because of their wit, their learning. And so they occupy a they occupy the middle ground in English British society. Uh, at the very top was an aristocracy, which began life as a warrior elite. And below them are the mass of people who work with their hands. If you're in the middle class, you come home from your office, wherever you're working, with clean hands. If you're a member of the working class, you come home with dirty hands. You have to wash them. A very simple uh, way of describing the difference.
0: No, please continue.
1: Yeah. The the very important factor is the middle classes are made by education. They treasure education and they try and perpetuate it in their children. Uh, That is why the middle classes are so keen on their children's education. Um, because they see this as maintaining their status and their wealth.
0: Right, and I think that was a very important aspect of your and theme in your book, is the middle class ideal of status and maintaining that status. Can you talk about what external and internal things these middle class Brit- British people did to maintain their status?
1: Well, uh, it's one's prestige, one's status, one's standing in society matters to them. A Victorian dog breeder wrote, "It is ordinary. It is not for ordinary people to keep a mongrel. An ordinary person has a mongrel. Uh, A member of the middle classes has a thoroughbred dog. It is status, and status is always expressed in objects. Whether it's your horse in the past, or your carriage, or today your motor car, um, your house where you live. These objects." And they're often quite expensive objects. Define your position in society. Um, A Tudor judge, a member of the middle class, a lawyer, would always rise to the Assizes on horseback with mounted servants behind him, fully robed in scarlet. And he was making a statement about himself. This is my position in the world. This is where I stand. Look at the rings on my fingers. Look at the dress my wife is wearing. Look at my house and its interior its decorations all these things add up to status and and people uh, are still obsessed with say so you watch tonight's television look in the papers look at the advertisements they're telling us to buy such a product which will raise our standing with the rest of society
0: right so this status element goes all the way back from the beginning really uh where you started in 1350 so you see these people wanting kind of heraldry uh gentility tracing uh their their ancestors back can you talk about kind of one of the the foundations of the rise of the middle class this idea of work and virtue and kind of the the calvinist view that really i think was very influential in creating such a vibrant middle class in britain
1: yes it is like. It is the Calvinist view that for the middle class, the most important part of the New Testament is almost that moment when Christ reveals the the parable of the talents. These are something which each individual possesses. They're God-given. If you don't use your talent, you are failing yourself and failing your God. So developing your talent... Your intelligence and this the middle class would see their intelligence, their perseverance, their ability to absorb learning and apply it. These are their talents and they are following, if you like, God's instruction in um, utilizing them to improve themselves. And they would that the rest of society. The lawyer would tell you without the law, there'd be chaos and anarchy. Therefore, he is a vital person performing a vital task he still does right
0: so you saw that kind of uh idealized person that they had to increase their knowledge and you really saw it i think really from the very beginning there in medieval england is this desire to obtain books to uh this remarkable high literacy rates can you talk about that kind of drive for knowledge that also was an important factor in the middle class
1: uh Yes, it's important. The first essential thing is to learn to read and write in English or probably in Latin as well. I and mean, if you think of the uh, anyone who is handling money has to record the money he gets and spends. The middle class housewife in Chaucer's time kept a household. She would have to have a household book record how much she spent. So that her husband would understand she wasn't spending it on fripperies and jewellery and this sort of thing. So, being able to read and write gives you an extraordinary power, and it gives you uh, a tremendous value of society. You can um, the, the businessman who has no books, no means of recording how he's made his money, uh, what he has, what he owes, uh, the man will fail so it is literacy um, which is a quintessential for the, the middle class uh, to survive to grow and prosper anyone engaged in pom- commerce or the law or medicine must read and write and this is why they have this tremendous passion for education and stress it for their own children
0: right so you see that passing down you see this passing down of knowledge sending sons to cambridge um and really the was something that was also vibrant was the dis diffuse, diffusion of knowledge in the press and uh papers and things like that there was really a demand by this middle class to be well read correct
1: yes there is they want to read they um and they make sure their children will I mean Shakespeare uh, is sent his father is a a businessman in Stratford-on-Avon. He sends his son to the grammar school. I mean, Shakespeare remembers it, uh, walking unwilling like a snail to school. But his father knows that William Shakespeare, whatever else he may become, must need to read and write. And of course, he does it to wonderful effect, probably in a profession his father would not have approved of. Actors are really love a looked down on, a bit louche, a bit riotous, ill-behaved. But it is Shakespeare going to school It epitomizes the Elizabethan and later middle class. And you mentioned the press, something that appears in the 18th century in Britain. And you read through the papers and you see news, and then you see advertisements. And these advertisements are always um, advertising wares to improve your status. Um, You will see an advertisement, say, for crockery if you go to this shop this seller of plates and cups and whatsoever um, is also supplying to the aristocracy you know and you still see in London uh, a shop which uh, supplies Her Majesty the Queen uh, with cutlery and the notion being that uh, if the rich and very powerful those at the top patronize these shops then they must be very good and so the middle classes are always looking upwards looking at what um, uh, they look up, but what are the rich and powerful, the, the, the titled ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Jane Austen's family would have perused the p- papers, and uh, Mrs. Bennet would have seen that um, the Duke of uh, uh, Carlisle or something uh, is buying his silverware from such a dealer. Uh, and therefore, this must be very good. Um, consumption is very important, and consumption is tied in with status uh everything from clothing uh, to the pots and pans in the scullery.
0: Right. And so it becomes even as it advances the middle class there in Britain, being having those tastes to, to differentiated themselves from the working class and the aristocracy. So there were specific tastes uh, that merged in the middle class. Can you talk about those?
1: Yes, the tastes are uh, always, they look slightly above. What? 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 Right. What, what does the aristocrat do? Uh, and some of the tastes are highly desirable, like visiting the opera, um, attending the theatre, uh, being seen in public assemblies and places, always properly dressed. Um, the clothing uh, is a statement of who you are, and at the same time, the aristocracy are expected to understand quality. So consumerism. Is always looking upwards. I mean, look at modern car adverts. The car is not just a vehicle which gets you from A to B. It says something about your standing in the world, your 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 purchasing power, and this has always been so. Um, certainly in the eighteenth century, uh, and nineteenth, and the twentieth.
0: It's still the same, right? And I think that that one of the elements that made this vibrant middle class was also their commercial skills so it's not just the ability to money but the the they were really a nation or the middle class was very much uh involved in economic issues can you talk about how that rise took place and ended up with the industrial revolution
1: it's it's really first of all it's about obviously buying and selling um uh, and you, what you buy, what you sell. I mean, Chaucer's father was a wine merchant, and he made money selling wine. And you have, after you've uh, made your profits in business, you tend to, I tend to, to, to take them and invest them in land. Until the nineteenth century, land was the thing to possess. It not only gave you revenues, uh, rents, etc., it gave you a standing in the world. But the middle classes uh, also developed a knack of trading and also investment. Uh, When you had a surplus of capital, uh, you transferred it somewhere else. A man in Charles II's London made a fortune um, selling coal, shall we say, which came from Newcastle and was sold in London. The warm people's homes, and the money his surplus capital. He says, "Well, what shall I do with it? I can invest it in land, but I could invest it in a trading company, East India Company, for instance, or one of the many companies operating sugar plantations in the West Indies. I'll put my money there, and that'll give me uh, an income, um, and uh, this income will build up. So they." Uh, Making money creates wealth, and when you have enough wealth, you can think about investment. And in the 17th, 18th century, Britain, there were two areas to invest in. Industrial development, uh, building of canals, later railways, coal mines, foundries, or sending it overseas uh, to, uh, first of all, India, and uh, then the West Indian colonies and then the United States I mean, United States railways were built on money uh, invested by um, rich people in Britain.
0: Right. So you see that middle class's influence in so many things. And what's remarkable too is the attitude of the middle class was, uh, had this progressive view. Can you talk about their outlook and why it was essential to their growth?
1: Um, Their outlook, I mean, first of all, the middle class, uh, the wool merchants and the cloth merchants of medieval England uh, were members of parliament. Uh, Every borough in England, a small town and city sent MPs. So the middle, if you like, the commercial classes were always present in parliament. Um, They tended to be quiet. The, The big debates were sort of dominated by the Knights of the Shire, the landed gentry but they're there and uh, they become, if you like, part of the government. They're prepared uh, as time goes by to criticize governments. Um, Parliament gets rid of two kings, Richard II in 1399 um, and during the Wars of the Roses, uh, Henry VI, Edward IV and uh, Richard III. Uh, uh, um, And so Parliament's power increases. The the, the middle classes join with the aristocracy in making the government of the country. And their attitudes vary. Um, They are obviously in favor of any kind of policy which will uh, make Britain's commerce stronger. Um, They will support government which goes to war with France and Spain in the 18th century to increase the size of our colonies they're always very money-wise. So if governments who spend too much are likely to get quite a lot of criticism. Middle classes don't like paying taxes. Um, they will vote. They'll be grumble about taxes. But at the same time, by the 18th century, they wish to be part of a prosperous, uh, powerful nation which is extending its overseas empire and offering further sources to make more money.
0: Right. So you just see that activity, that kind of uh, buying and selling trading element. But it's also the, the middle classes in Britain were remarkable in their their self-assurance. There's something about them that they really w- thought they could do something and apply their talents and really succeed. I thought that was a, a, a theme within your book and an interesting aspect of uh, the British middle class. Can you talk about more about, the, I mean, it's the... It must be something based in the Puritanism or the Calvinism that they really thought that they could effectively put the capitalism to use.
1: Yes, it is. the. Um, they feel there is the making of wealth is a sign that you are a chosen person. Uh, these people, the strong 17th, 18th century belief in providence. If you succeed, this is a mark of God's blessing. At the same time, they... Are, uh, their outlook is extremely flexible. Uh, they, they are on lookout for chance and opportunity. And when they see it, they weigh it, and they may often take chances. Um, the picture we get in The Merchant of Venice of waiting for your ship, uh, may be set in Venice, the merchant waiting for his ship to come back from foreign parts. Uh, anxious whether it's going to bring him a fortune or bankruptcy. But they are willing to take risks. Take an example of a a friend's family. Uh, The middle class never... uh, Wealth tended to go from eldest son to eldest son. So the children of the middle classes, those who are not going to inherit the business, uh, they have to seek their own fortunes. And so you might find... um, an experience of a friend of mine a grandfather aged 18 in the middle of the 19th century is put on a boat to Cape Town in South Africa with a a few pounds to keep him and they say you go there and see what fortune you can make
0: so that's it I mean you're really sent out to make your way in the world and you know, come back with, with, and money was a sign of uh, success at that time. Can you you have a section in your book as the middle class is emerging about kind of the associations that the middle class had in the late 18th century, early 19th century? Can you talk about how people spent their time as as uh, members of the middle class?
1: Well, they're spending their time, this is up to individual choice, and the, the middle classes are always... Um, they're emphatic. They are very individualistic. Um, they enjoy the entertainment, which is provided for them, commercial entertainment, the theatre, uh, the ballet, musical concerts, uh, assemblies and dances. But they can pursue their own interests. And these are not just reading and study, but uh, causes in which they can um, use their influence and standing to sway the world around them, to change it. So in the 18th century, you have a lot of middle class men and women banding together uh, and demanding political change, and political reform, extending the franchise or some moral cause, temperance, reducing the amount of drunkenness in the country or something on a far greater scale, which is the abolition of the slave trade in which they succeed. Uh, and so that a man had not only a duty to employ his talents, but a duty, and a woman too, this is a strong women's work here, uh, to remake the world or make it a better place, not only for the middle class, but for the rest of society. So you've got all sorts of, you know, society for the uh, um, reform of public morals, which was keeping the street free of muggers and drunkards and prostitutes. Uh, all of these things they throw their, their their whole body and soul into.
0: Right. So you saw that during this this rise of the middle class, this desire to suppress vice, uh, make social changes for the better too, which I think was a vitally important element of that success in their their ability to kind of make those changes. Can you talk about how the middle class developed as as uh, the nineteenth century progressed with other challenges? that took place uh and interpretations really like the way marx interpreted the middle class in the uk
1: well the middle class um they see themselves as the most responsible um clear-headed section of society Um, they see that there is much to be done whether it's and they can do it because they dominate local government. The great cities of Manchester, Liverpool, Birmingham are run by Edinburgh, Glasgow, run by the middle classes. So they can build public libraries, um, pave the streets, install lighting, uh, all these things which are for the betterment of humanity. At the same time, they're aware that industry has created an enormous working class, it tends to be uh, they're slightly frightened of it it can be very frightening. Uh, the, the mobs which appear <coughs> sorry the mobs which appear the working classes must be first of all restrained and then taught to live sober and godly lives and improve themselves if you like imitate the middle class uh, it is uh, the middle class um, uh, set up a savings bank so the working man can put his money away and save it. The middle classes are great believers in thrift, not all of them, but quite a lot were, and therefore pull himself upwards. And they had there was an organization called the Charity Organization Society, in which you not only gave money, but you walked and visited, walked to and visited the homes of the poor. You spoke to them, you gave them moral advice, um and if you lent them money, you expected it to be repaid. Uh, in a sense, it was trying to, uh, they were missionaries for the uh, morality of the middle class. Self-help, thrift and sobriety will bring you happiness. And, and of course, everyone knew that the great, two great problems of Victorian yeah. urban life were prostitution and drunkenness on a scale which I think today we still can't imagine.
0: Can you talk more about that? That was right around the nineteenth century, correct?
1: Yeah. Well, it's it is a sense that um, as the, the industrial revolution and its great sic- overseas commercial successes give the British people a very strong sense that they are a chosen people; they are the agents of providence, and not only must they um, uplift people abroad, uh, abolish slavery. Uh, but they must also remake their own country into a godly, upright and moral state. And this meant alleviating poverty, not by throwing money at it, but by making the poor responsible, just like the middle classes. The poor must make their own destinies, but they needed very intense guidance um, from above. And so you had the uh, Victorian lady visiting the working family, um, praying with them, trying to guide them towards church, try to uh, help the wife reform a drunkard husband. And uh, this may seem highly emotional or sort of melodramatic, but uh, the m- m- drunkenness, uh, let's say the murder of uh, wives by husbands, which was usually caused by drunkenness, was fairly common in Victorian England. In Oscar Wilde's Ballad of Reading Jail, the man about to be hanged has, in a drunken fit, murdered his wife. And so you could see that the Victorians would read a story like this and say, "We must. this is something we must do something about. This is what God tells us to do.
0: Right, so you really saw that change and there was kind of a rise of evangelicalism. You write about how... Uh, there was almost kind of a stuffy kind of Christianity that really wanted to impose its will upon certain members uh, members of the middle class in that society. Um, it also was fascinating, like you saw, the uh, in the architecture and what was built, the patronage of the middle class really made an impact upon uh the cities of the of Fletton, correct?
1: Yes, yes, the middle classes, um. It, the ruling classes of, say, Manchester wanted their city and they deliberately put, looked back to Athens and Rome, these great civic cultures, and they wanted to make their cities. Uh, they preferred, on the whole, the Gothic to the classical style, which classical style tended to favor the aristocracy, but they wanted to, them to be memorials of the vibrant life of the city, and to remind people that although they made their money from trade and investment, they were cultured men, men who appreciated fine art and exquisite buildings. And there's a moral purpose. I mean, the public baths uh, get meant that people would be cleaner, wash themselves. The public baths are very important. Um, small things like drinking fountains, troughs for horses, pavement, gaslighting, all these focused on the city as a center of civilization as it had been in the ancient world.
0: Right. So you really see this, this growth coming out of the middle class, really the beautification and uh, this rise that we take for granted was really something that was done by these patrons. They started their own uh, private uh, libraries, interesting things like that. Can you talk about also kind of how the, uh, origin of Speeches, You talk about Darwin and the public schools. Can you talk about their impact there at the nineteenth century?
1: Well, the middle classes have a great faith in education. Uh, they want their children to be educated so that just just to maintain their status and preferably go further upwards in standing in society. So, the the alternative were alternatives are the local grammar schools, which there are a huge number. Scattered about the country, or they could go to the public schools. These were fee paying schools. Many were founded in the Victorian people deliberately, period, deliberately for the middle classes. But they wanted their children. The old public schools of the 18th century were real riotous places, disorderly, uh, heavy drinking, violent. Uh, The new public schools thanks to dr arnold at rugby were places of soberness godly learning in which the young middle class boy and later his sister would learn uh, the their duties as respect, respectable citizens and also pick up the qualities of manliness um, christian fortitude play sports uh, cricket rugby uh, so they're both physically fit, strong, um, and self disciplined. Sport is a discipline of a kind, play by the rules. And this notion of Christian manliness, which the late, late mid and late Victorian public schools sold, appealed to the middle classes. They didn't want to go to them to go to the old style public schools in which the boy would learn uh, to drink. Um, to chase girls uh, and enjoy bad company. No, they were there for a kind of great moral education. Um, and this was best carried out on the playing field, in the classroom, and above all, in the chapel.
0: Right. So you see that sobriety. And how does the middle class adapt to the 20th century? How does that progress in the well, later chapter? Well,
1: it, it, it's going to undergo all sorts of revolutions, the first revolution of the 20th century is that by 1900, uh, by, by 1918, Britain has become a democracy in which uh, a great ne- proportion of the male and female population can vote. Uh, the middle class uh, find extreme and exciting new forms of entertainment, uh, motor cars, cycling, uh, foreign travel, Ooh. And the middle class have never had a better opportunity to enjoy themselves, and this continues to go on. One notices that church going um, diminishes over time in the ni- in the 20th century, but you have uh, the, the middle class pater familias might go out and play golf on the Sundays rather than go to church. Um, the middle class is also to the forefront in uh, two World Wars, um, a very instructive uh, film and play. Uh, this Happy Breed by Noel Coward comes from a lower middle class family in London. And his a lower middle class uh, figure, stands up and says, it's up to ordinary people like ourselves to keep things steady. And another film of the period, Mrs. Miniver, which is about an upper-class lady in the countryside, shows how in wartime two members of the middle class do their duty, uh, perform it patiently, honourably, and patriotically. So they are drawn into these two great upheavals which transfer the country. And at the same time, their numbers are increasing. Um, The number of clerks employed in offices of government offices, but more commercial offices, banks, in, uh, solicitors, um, insurers, means that the, the middle class is expanding, particularly at its lower levels, the clerical level. So their numbers are increasing. Uh, they do in two world wars uh, try attempt to do their duty. They see themselves as rallying society keeping it steady in Earl Coward's words. And at the same time, there is a a sort of loosening of the Victorian corsets. Uh, People are more frank, more open. Um, uh, People speak about sexuality. Uh, The the 1920s was seen as an era by some Victorians as one of decadence. But, you know, with uh, uh, Charleston uh, liberating dances and uh, nightclubs, Uh, There's a lot more entertainment going on. There's a lot more freedom, um, a lot less stuffiness. And the middle class embrace this on the whole. The older generation, you know, poo-poo it. They hold their breath and say, no, no, it's not right. It's wrong. But it's unstoppable. And then the motor car comes along and the motor car um, gives a new dimension to life of the middle class Uh, Henry Ford's popular motoring Austin in the 1920s means you have this new and by the 30s and 40s the household is changing because the middle class wife is being liberated by domestic chores by washing machines hoovers and so she has a greater freedom than her mother or grandmother so there's a sense of liberation going on at the same time, the middle classes are um, still earning money, still getting on, still clinging to status. Right. Um, you, you, your Model T Ford might be purchased by the bank clerk. Uh, the chairman of the company will have a rose.
0: Right. So that's how it develops to World War II. Where do you see the middle class in Britain now and how do you perceive its, its future?
1: Well, it's getting larger and larger. Um, The industrial working class, people working mines, shipyards, iron, steel foundries are diminishing in number. Uh, By now, I think uh, at least 60% of the population are middle class. That is, they live by their wits. And the IT revolution has generated thousands, perhaps millions of middle class jobs, not only in Britain, but across the world. People who live by their learning, by their wits, And these people, uh, this number of these people is increasing. So the middle classes is is more and more numerous. Um, They are also uh, sending their children to university. Now, uh, most middle class families expect their children to go to university. Um, If only, uh, sometimes as a sort of finishing school almost, uh, broadening the mind, but more and more often in the last few years, as a way of securing a job. Um, The notion of a job has changed. Uh, The middle class of the 20s and 30s thought of a job as something for life. But in fact, uh, there's no such thing as job for life. Someone may start in one profession and end in another. So this old-fashioned flexibility is becoming more and more important. The middle class young man today may not know exactly what he might be doing in twenty years' time. His grandfather did,
0: right? But you still see that continuum—the continuum with kind of status, with yeah. obtaining objects. It started all the way back, you know, fifteenth century, fourteenth century to the present. Yes. But yeah. Yeah. Really, a fascinating book. I mean, how would you like to sum it up before we wrap up? Word about thirty-seven minutes.
1: Well, I think I would sum it up is it's a, um, it's a sort of, it's a biography of a huge section of the country, but it's made up of lots and lots of individual biographies of individual men and women, um, members of the middle class, and what they hold in common is, I think, um, a, a mixtures of self-confidence, um, adaptability, and I think the perseverance. I mean, that's still a Victorian virtue, but it's still with us.
0: Right, you still see that today. I mean, it's really a remarkable story. And where's the best place for people to obtain the middle class?
1: Um, well, I assume any good uh, bookshop. Um, I'm not very good on the distribution, but they, uh, I'm sure if you order one, it will turn up.
0: I'm sure there's one on Amazon. And you can be contacted through your publisher, Little Brown, if people want to reach out. Or uh, Yes, yes, to
1: do. I hear lots of middle-class people telling me about middle-class experiences. Um, and what's fascinating, the, the, the latest and the middle-class have had more and more hobbies and pastimes than ever they had before. And one of the most interesting ones is, is so many of them are trying to find out about their ancestors. Right.
0: That's the new thing, right? Ancestry.com. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. And again, the title of the book is Middle Class, and it's a new edition, 2021. And the author, again, is Lawrence James. Thank you so much, Lawrence.
1: Thank you, William.
0: Okay, stay there. Don't go anywhere.